morning, church family. That's like the best part. Let's just do it again for fun. Good morning, church family. It's so fun. It's always so good to be here, you guys, but especially at Advent, this is my favorite time of year. I firmly believe that the days and weeks that come before Christmas are more fun than Christmas itself. Okay, my kids and I have all these traditions. There's multiple Advent calendars, decorations and movies and music and special recipes and traditional Bible passages, right? We even have these ridiculous daily Christmas challenges that I have been banned by my children telling you any more in detail. Just know that we are a very weird family and love Advent a whole lot, okay? It's just a super lovely, fun, thoughtful, meaningful part of our annual rhythm, okay? And that's true for us as a church family as well. So as a church family, this Advent, we are spending this season looking at Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfills. So um, anyone want to guess what my topic is today? I'm going to give you a couple of hints. Okay. In March, in March, the text I was given to preach was about Jesus as the good shepherd. Okay. In May, I preached a sermon about us as sheep under the leadership of a good shepherd. Ten true things about sheep. Do you remember? Okay. In September, the school that I teach at decided that Psalm 23 was going to be our textual focus for the entire year. So everything is centered on the relationship between shepherd and sheep. And today, church family, I have been invited to preach on Jesus as the prophetically promised shepherd. I'm starting to feel like maybe God is trying to tell me something. <laughs> like, like I haven't quite gotten the message yet up to this point. So today, I just want to do a few things together. We have a shortened amount of time, so I want to be really focused about this. First, let's find the promise of a shepherd in the Old Testament. Like, where is it exactly? What does it say? Next, let's look at how Jesus fulfills that promise. And I want to look at what it means to be a good shepherd, because I think there are two main components. And then let's do what we always do, which is see, does this even apply to us now, Advent 2023? Okay, I think it can. But let's pray before we start. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this time, this space, this physical space to gather. Thank you for each and every human in the room right now. You have gathered us and drawn us together like the good shepherd that you are, so that you might teach us something new this morning. Lord, our ears are open. My ears are open. We are craving your story, your words, your fresh direction in all the places that our lives feel stagnant and old and broken. Invade our space, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. Silence the distractions in the room and those that are inside of our head and our heart. We are listening, Lord. Amen. Okay, let's get right to it. Let's start with the first question. What is the Old Testament promise about a shepherd? So flip to Ezekiel chapter 34. That's where we're going to land. While you're turning there, I just want you to think about the image of a shepherd for a few minutes in your mind in the Bible. It's one of the primary ways that the biblical authors describe who God is as a shepherd. So here's just a few Old Testament examples, just a little sample. Jacob calls him the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day. Lovely. Later, Jacob also says he's the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd, the rock of Israel. In Psalm 78, David says, He, God, led his own people like a flock of sheep, guiding them safely through the wilderness. That sounds pretty shepherdy to me. Jeremiah, another prophet, says that the Lord who scattered his people will gather them up and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. 
And just one more because we can. Micah appeals to God's shepherdness by praying this. O Lord, protect your people with your shepherd's staff. Lead your flock, your special possession. Cool. But it's not just how the biblical authors describe God. It's how God describes himself. And this is where it gets really cool. So Ezekiel 34 is where we're going to start. Ezekiel was writing during this really, really dark um, hard period of political exile for Israel. Exile, spiritual exile, physical exile. It was this period of waiting and longing and looking to the future and hoping that whatever comes next is better than what's currently happening, which is kind of like Advent, actually. So God starts this message to Ezekiel by blasting all of the leaders who are supposed to be leading Israel well, but were not. Okay, they were basically functioning as bad shepherds. Look, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies, and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock, and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. This is what I like to call God's hold my beer moment. (laughs) He's like, you aren't doing it, so now I'm going to. You call that shepherding, right? Hold my beer. Look what comes next. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by their rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. Here are my favorite two words from that passage. I, myself. That is powerful. That is more powerful than just I will do something. I, myself, implies step aside. I am rolling up my sleeves and getting personally involved. It's just like when you ask your kids to do the dishes and they kind of do the dishes. And you walk in and you say, you call that doing the dish. Step aside, right? I myself will handle this. That is good news for the dishes and really bad news for the kids whose original job was to do the dishes, right? God says, I myself, no more human leader. I myself will do what? Here's the list. We'll stop the bad shepherds. We'll rescue my flock. We'll search for and find my sheep. We'll be like a shepherd to them. We'll bring them back home. We'll feed them. We'll give them good pasture land, a rest in Eden. We'll tend to them. We'll bring them safely home. We'll bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. That is a love letter. That is a love letter to us from God. And it sounds really great in theory, but this is metaphorical language. So how exactly is God going to do this? 
Okay, best verse yet, verse 23. God continues. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be a prince among my people. And this way they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And they will know that they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the sovereign Lord. You are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God. That will preach. We could just pray now and go home. It is that powerful because this is the Old Testament promise, that God himself will be our shepherd, that he will be a good shepherd, and he will do it through a future shepherd in the line of David. And that future shepherd is Jesus. Okay, so hear this. The way that God the Father shepherds us is Jesus. Okay, the way that God shepherds us is Jesus. Now, flip over to John 10, okay? We just studied this a few weeks ago. Jesus' answers to all of God's I will statements are his I am statements. God says, I will, and Jesus says, I am, okay? Watch, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming, bad shepherd, He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Bad shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Let's stop there for right now. Do you see how God's I will matches up with Jesus I am? God says, I myself will solve the problem of bad shepherding and I will rescue the flock. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I sacrifice my own life. That's how I rescue the flock. God says, I myself will search for and find and tend to my sheep and bring them safely home. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep intimately, right? I know I have all sheep and other flocks and I will bring them home together in one flock and I will lead them, okay? It's so clear. Jesus is confirming not only is he God, but he is the way that God is going to carry out his role as our shepherd. It's lovely, Author Lynn Anderson writes this, Jesus left the comforts of heaven and came into our universe, our pasture, to smell like sheep. (laughs) Jesus sweated like we do. He walked our pathways, braved our wolves, faced our temptations, and shared our struggles. The Holy One of Israel came in Jesus Christ to be our good shepherd. So I've spent a lot of time recently thinking about this. Why shepherd? Why? Why did God use this metaphor more than any other to capture and explain his heart for us? Why is he using it over and over this year for me in my life? And here's where I land. Good shepherds are two extremes at once. Okay? They are protective and powerful and strong and personal and tender. Okay? So I want you to hold on to both of those in your mind for a little bit. Protective and personal, both. Good shepherds are a paradox. They have to be both. They are tender and nurturing on one side. They are binding wounds and feeding the young, and they know the the cries of each one of their sheep, right? 
He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. This is the verse that all the kids are working on today. Okay, it's so tender. It's one of my favorites. But they are also powerful and protective and strong and brave. They're literally ready to die defending and fighting wild animals for their sheep. There is real power in their fierce protection of their flock. And if a shepherd is not both protective and personal, they're quite simply a bad shepherd. Okay. You guys, God is not gentle in the way he talks about bad shepherds in the Bible. Maybe you have noticed this, but some of the harshest language in the entire Bible is reserved for his admonition of those people who abuse the role of shepherd. Zechariah 11 Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 10, 23, 26, our passage today, Ezekiel 34. And here's why, hear me. A bad shepherd is far more dangerous to a flock than any outside threat. Let me say it this way. A shepherd that isn't fiercely protective of their flock and deeply focused on personal needs. This is worse than any wolf or predator on the outside. This is a flock that is in danger. So think of your own life for a minute. Think of the hurt and the heartaches that you have experienced or are experiencing because someone who should be shepherding you well isn't or didn't. Someone wasn't as protective or personal as they should have been. They abused their role as shepherd in your life. They overlooked you and your needs, maybe. They chose themselves when they should have prioritized you. A boss, a spouse, a parent, a spiritual leader, a pastor. We all have shepherd wounds, all of us. Okay? The hard part is that pain is real. The best part, though, is that when we do allow Jesus to be our good shepherd, he can heal us from our previous bad shepherding experiences. It is true. Ask me how I know. And isn't that ultimate healing what we are longing for at Advent? Because even though Jesus came and he lived and he died, he rose again, it is still a broken and hurting world full of bad shepherds. Sometimes, you guys, I find myself literally aching for the day that it won't be like this in the world, that it won't be broken and hurting. Actual physical ache in my body over the senseless devastation in the Middle East right now. Physical ache over the sinful injustice that seems to thrive everywhere right now. And there's personal hurt, too. I walked through the death of a very, very dear uncle this week, and the grief and the ache have been just nearly all-consuming. It's taken me down. But we are steadily moving towards the day when all of that will be no more. And I know Revelation's a really weird book. I get that. Um, but it is absolutely unparalleled in the hopeful, beautiful picture it paints of the future that's waiting for us. Okay, just one verse. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. Paradox, right? He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is coming. But in the meantime, here we are, waiting. Advent 2023, but also in a more permanent Advent state until this day arrives, right? So as we start to wrap up, here's the question for us. What do we do with this? God's a good shepherd, okay? Jesus is how he shepherds, okay? And he's a good shepherd that is both protective and personal. Great. What do we do with that? Action steps, right? Have you ever heard of the buffalo sentence? 
It's the word, yes, some of you have. It's the word buffalo eight times in a row, and it makes a correct sentence in English, okay? No other words. Here we go, ready? Buffalo, 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 buffalo. I put that up there in case you didn't know what the word buffalo looked like eight times in a row, okay? So you're welcome. Um, as a noun, buffalo means the animal, bison. As a verb, buffalo means to bully something or somebody, right? And as a proper noun, buffalo, the capital B, refers to the city or something that comes from the city. So I will spare you the sentence diagramming, though it is fascinating. Um, this sentence is correct, okay? And it basically means this. Buffalo bison, that other buffalo bison bully, also bully buffalo bison. Okay, English is crazy, you guys. Take it from an English teacher, right? But here's my point. Here's the point in all of this. Um, shepherd is not just a noun, it can be a noun, right? It can be a profession or a person who does like the work of herding and tending sheep. It could be lots of things though. Shepherd can be an adjective. It can be a participle. In fact, we could write a sentence similar to the buffalo sentence using forms of shepherd, okay? Here's my stab. Shepherded shepherds, shepherding. Shepherded shepherds, shepherd shepherds. That was just for fun. It's like a weird round of Advent Mad Libs, right? This is kind of good. I like it. Here's my point in all of this. I think today, as we walk into this season of Advent, we're being invited. I personally am being invited to consider the word shepherd as a verb, okay, as an action word. So to shepherd something is to care for it, to nurture it, to protect it, to lead it, to defend it, especially in a spiritual way. Okay. Pastors are called to shepherd their congregations like Jesus did, selflessly, with integrity, laying their life down. When I or anyone else stands up here to preach, we are called to shepherd you by teaching the word accurately and faithfully. Right? Those of us in the room that have kids, we are called to shepherd our kids, right? But it's not just churches and children. Like You are called to shepherd anyone who is in your realm to lead and care for. Do you have students, employees, volunteers? Nieces, nephews, grandkids, who looks up to you? Right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So yeah, I do think that looking at God as good shepherd should awaken this realization in us that we should be shepherding like he does, breaking the cycles of bad shepherding in our life and following his example. Okay? John Ortberg says the same thing. God has entrusted us with his most precious treasure, people. Right? He asks us to shepherd and mold them into strong disciples with brave faith and good character. And people who are shepherded well, shepherd well, they know how to do it because they have experienced it firsthand. So at our school, there's this tradition of the seniors each adopting a freshman or two when the school year begins and helping them through that year in a lot of different ways. Okay, it's cute. Last year, we realized that our junior class was just really struggling. As a class, they just felt unloved. They called themselves the black sheep of the school, right? They were just kind of prickly and distant. And so we realized because of COVID and the weird timing, they had never been adopted. They were the only class to never be adopted by seniors when they were freshmen. So we got the staff together and we adopted them. We assigned juniors to staff members and we just made sure all year long they had encouragement, they had like candy and treats left in their locker. We had special meals together. We neglected the other three classes so we could focus on this one, right? We shepherded them in a way that they had been missing all along. 
And guess who is absolutely knocking it out of the park this year with their own adopted freshmen? That class, right? Because people who are shepherded well, shepherd well. And all that is true, but I can't help but wonder if today's invitation is also a little more personal and childlike. Okay, because the first step in shepherding well is being shepherded well. That is allowing someone else to lead you, to protect you, to provide for you, to nourish you, because you can't be shepherded well when you are calling all the shots. You have to relinquish that role and trust in somebody else's leadership over your life, and that is hard for us. There's an old church song called Shepherd Me, by a guy named Marty Hagen. It's a rendition of Psalm 23, which is nice, but it's this refrain that has been lodged in my brain all week. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. Right? Shepherd me, O God. It's so innocent and pure. I just imagine a child with their arms upstretched to a parent, like, Shep- take care of me, tend to me. Imagine myself with my arms upstretched. Just shepherd me, God. Take care of me. It's so vulnerable. And shepherd me, God. And not just in the direction that I want to go. Not just towards the pasture I'd pick for myself. Shepherd me, God. The lyrics say, beyond my wants. Beyond my fears. From death into life. Friends, we do have a good shepherd. And he desperately wants to shepherd us like this. But we have to let him. So, if you will let him... Here's his promises. He's promised to stop the bad shepherds who have hurt you and to heal you instead. To rescue you, to search for you and find you when you go astray. And then to bring you back home every time. To feed you and to nourish you. He's promised to give you good pasture for resting and eating and drinking and playing. He's promised to tend to you, to bandage your wounds, strengthen your weaknesses. He's promised to unite you to the rest of the flock in this lovely community. He's promised to be your good shepherd forever. And, and how is he going to do all this? He already has, through Jesus. Okay. I'm going to make Justin proud right now and end with a quote by Charles Spurgeon, but only because I felt like Dumb and Dumber was an Advent appropriate. So um, for everyone here whose instinct was to feel like they aren't worthy of a shepherd that good, here's what Spurgeon says. Jesus, the good shepherd, will not travel at such a rate as to overdrive the lambs. He has tender consideration for the poor and needy. Kings usually look to the interest of the great and rich, but in the kingdom of our great shepherd, he cares most for the poor. The weaklings and the sickly of the flock are the special objects of the Savior's care. You think, dear heart, that you are forgotten because of your nothingness and weakness and poverty. This is the very reason you are remembered. We are remembered and seen. We can just lift our arms like little children and say, shepherd us, Jesus. We want to be in your flock. You choose what's best for us, we'll follow. You lead, we'll obey. You guide us, we'll trust you. Just shepherd us. This is the invitation, friends, to walk through Advent with a spirit of children, the childlike wonder of those who know and trust that the best is still coming because they can trust their shepherd.